because it's a, a one-service Sunday, um, just doing a little topical here this morning over something that uh, you know I think is dear to all of our hearts, maybe not as near as probably we'd all like it to be, uh, just by a way of confession here this morning. Um, we're going to be looking at uh, two portions of Scripture, uh, Matthew chapter 6 this morning and Luke 11. We're going to land in Luke 11, but if you want to open your Bible with me to Luke, or excuse me, to Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 9 through 13. Um, most of us are familiar with this portion of, of Scripture, probably by heart, because it's uh, listed probably in your Bible as the Lord's Prayer. But it's really not the Lord's Prayer. It's really the disciples' prayer. And I've shared this with you, you know, many times. If we were going to look in, in the Bible and find the Lord's Prayer, you would probably go to John chapter 17. And that's uh, the prayer that Jesus prayed uh, with regard to his disciples, which would include you and I and, and his love for us and his desire for us. And, and it's a beautiful prayer that I encourage you to study and to read. But in, in Matthew uh, chapter 6 and Luke chapter 11, we have what is called the Lord's Prayer. But in the truest sense, we could call it the disciples' prayer. Because the disciples came to Jesus and they, they invited him, they asked him to teach them to pray. Um, and I titled this morning's message, 20 Seconds That Change the World, because it takes about 20 seconds to say the Lord's Prayer. And when I think about it today, because I could ask you this, how many by a show of hands, when you look around the world today, it looks like it's a mess? Just raise your hand if, you, if the world looks like, how many look around today and the world looks like everything is fine? And if you, okay, because we were going to pray for you if you were looking, if, uh, just give us a prayer, <laughs> we could actually, yeah. But uh, no, it, it's a mess. And, and, and sometimes when I look and I, and I hear, you know, somebody was telling me something and it wasn't, it wasn't a positive thing last week. They were talking about a ministry in the life of our church and they said that they're just a bunch of people that get together and, and sometimes uh, it becomes more of a complaint session than it does a, a prayer and a, and a Bible seeking session. And, and it was, it was discouraging in one sense because, you know, I, you know, you, you hear that and you go, okay, this is our church and, and it's a ministry within our church and there's no perfect church is just, there's no perfect people. But, um, the thing that was discouraging is because, and I tried to turn it into a positive and just as I was praying was that, um, you know, I understand that as we get older, it's easy to become cynical. You know, you've lived a long time and you've seen things and maybe you haven't seen a lot of change in the world. And so, um, you know, all of a sudden you just, you know, it becomes, it's like I say, you either become bitter, or you become better. There's really not a middle ground in there. And we have to be really careful uh, when we come together because the Bible is explicitly clear. This isn't to be a a gossip session. It's not to be a time where, you know, we, you run everything down, even in the things in the world or we talk politics and we just make fun of those that don't believe like we do. And, and, you know, we just, you know, again, even if things are wrong, you know, scripture is, is adamantly clear with, especially with regard to prayer, that we're to pray for every person who serves in any form of government or in leadership. And, and I found in my own life, like I said, through my own, you know, confession and repentance, it's very difficult to uh, hate someone that you pray for. And I think sometimes that's why we don't want to pray for people, because when you find that you start to pray and you pray according to, you know, God's direction in your life, you start to care for people. You start to, why? Because you start to get God's heart for people. 
uh, you know, God's not willing that any would perish, right? That all would come to repentance. And God loves. He loves sinners. He loves me. He loves you. And he, he loves the world, even those that are lost. And then to get God's heart, sometimes, like I said, it, it goes against the grain of our own lives and things that, uh, you know, uh, we hold to. And so as I was listening to this person share, I was thinking about, man, and it's really what led me to want to share with you today is I don't think that we comprehend to the degree I, I, I can say I know because I know I don't for my own life as well. So I uh, just throw that out there, you know, in front is we don't understand the depth of, of what prayer really does in the life of, of a believer and what prayer can do in the world. Um, I read a quote this last week that was just so encouraging. It said, if we understood, if we comprehended, you know, the power of prayer, we would never cease to pray again. We wouldn't because we'd see how powerful it is. And, and it, so it reminds me of this as, as we look at this this morning, um, you know, and we think about the Lord's Prayer, you know, you have to understand the backstory to this a little bit. And, and we'll do this and we'll, and we'll read this together. You, some of you, like I said, you'll know it by heart. You can just say it and others you'll, you can read along you know, on the screens and, and, we'll, and we will say it together. But to think about how this came about, um, there's really a, if you have a chronological Bible, this will make sense to you. Um, in Luke chapter 11, um, there's really a gap between Luke chapter 11 and, and Luke 10, and it would be uh, John chapter 9 and John chapter 10. And in John, you don't need to turn there, but I'll just tell you, in John chapter 9 and 10, it, it tells the story where Jesus heals the, the man who is blind from birth. And like I've shared with you, it's one of my favorite Bible stories of all time uh, about the miracles that Jesus did, because he didn't just lay hands on the guy, which he could have, and, and, and prayed that his eyes would be open. And he did that in other occasions. But this guy, what Jesus did was he spits on the ground and, and he, rolls, he rolls dirt into his saliva, into a round ball, and he puts them in the guy's eyes, uh, sockets. The guy never had eyes. And then he tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And, 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 and as he does, he's, he literally, he can see. And, and it's such a, an amazing miracle. And he does it on the Sabbath, so, so the religious Jews are mad. And then they remember, they bring the guy's parents in because they're going, hey, we don't believe him, you know, because he's, he's not just telling a great story. He's laying out an awesome Bible study for him. He's like, you know, I, all I can tell you is once I was blind, right? And you remember the story? And he says, and now I see, right? And then he asks him, he goes, do you want to believe too? And then they get all mad at him. And uh, so they bring his parents in. And they say, hey, you know, our son, he's of age. I mean, he can talk. Yeah, he was blind. And uh, so all of a sudden, you know, he's there and he's, he's just saying, all I know is, you know, I, I, I had no eyes. I couldn't see. And then this guy, and he, well, who was he? I don't know. I was blind. <laughs> I mean, he goes, but, but he goes, but I, I, he heard his voice. And, he, and Jesus then goes on in chapter 10 and he says, I'm the good shepherd. And he said, and my sheep, they hear my voice and they follow me. And the Jews, they just, I mean, they went sideways. And it says, and they picked up stones and they, they desired to kill Jesus. And, and, and he says, you know, for what work do you desire to, to kill me? And they said, for no work, because how can you argue a guy that heals a guy that was blind? They said, the reason we're going to kill you is because you claim to be God, which he did. You know, you'll hear sometimes the Jehovah Witness say, Jesus never claimed to be God. No, he did. That's why they wanted to kill him. And, and so you have this this time gap here. And then all of a sudden in, in chapter 11, the disciples come to Jesus 
And, and I think this is where most of us get this wrong when we think about the Lord's Prayer, whether in Matthew 6 or in Luke 11. We look at that and we go, oh, this is the prayer. Because I was raised, how many, how many Catholic, ex-Catholics do you have in here? Did you, did you learn the Lord's Prayer growing up and you learned it by rote? I mean, I remember praying it when I was in, in school. We'd pray it before a football game, you know, and I wondered if the other team prayed it, who would win? I mean, we... It's kind of a toss-up. You know, somebody said that they, they said it to a rabbi. They said, well, if two teams pray uh, and, you know, they both pray that God would give them victory, he goes, who's going to win? He goes, I don't know. He goes, but I think the Lord just sits back and goes, we're going to have one heck of a game here. You know? <laughs> but, but growing up, you know, to learn that prayer, it became a rote prayer for me. I knew nothing about what the Lord's prayer meant. I just said it. And, and, and that's what Jesus was warning against. He said that you would, you would use this prayer as, as vain repetition. And I believe that you can. I know that you can because I did that myself for years. But this was to be a model prayer. And, and, the, and, the, and, and his disciples came to Jesus. And, and you understand all these things that had happened, all these miracles that Jesus had done, right? And they came to Jesus knowing that Jesus, and again, when they came to him, he was, Jesus had already separated himself from them and he had been spending time with the father in prayer all by himself. You, you would notice he would take the disciples with him and then he would leave them and then he would go away from them, but within where they could see him and they could hear him. Okay. So they could hear what Jesus was saying. They could see him. You know, we call it, I love this, this word. And we think about this today. I was going to title this actually the lesson today called neology. You know, it's not just theology, it's neology, right? That man, if we want to, if we really want to, you know, understand Jesus, because I do, I get people that come to me and they go, Pastor Mike, you know, I'm thinking I want to be a pastor, you know, and teach, you know, we need to learn how to, to teach. And you go, but isn't that interesting? The disciples never came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us how to teach. They didn't say they saw it, right? They never came and said, Lord, teach us how to do a miracle. Because they'd just seen it, right? They didn't say, Lord, teach us how to, to run a church or, or how to operate, you know, anything in the world. No, it says, they said, Lord, not even teach us how to pray. And I think that's where you and I, we get it wrong. They weren't coming to him and saying, Lord, teach us how to pray. They were raised Jewish. They knew how to pray. They prayed every day. They prayed. There was 19 prayers, you know, that they, they had that they would pray every morning. They prayed in the morning. They prayed at noon. They prayed, you know, at three o'clock in the afternoon. They prayed constantly. But it, for them, it became ritual. It became rote. And they saw something in Jesus that I pray that you and I don't miss when we study the Bible. But I think sometimes we do. And matter of fact, I know we do. I know I do. And, and, and I know in the life of our church, we do. I, like I said, when I hear this, when, when we come together as a church and we have the possibility, I mean, to think about this, where Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, that there I am in the midst of thee. And we have the ability to change the world. And I want you to think about that. We have the ability to change the world. The Bible says that one day, the, you know, we, we think about our government, right? I mean, is our government going to always be in power? No, we have elections, you know, every few years they get, but the Bible says, and we see this in the Lord's prayer that thy kingdom come, his kingdom is coming. God is going to return to this earth and he's going to establish his kingdom. It says, and every knee is going to what? Bow. And every tongue is going to what? Confess that Jesus is what? Not Caesar, you know, not a Republican, not a Democrat, not an independent, 
No, but Jesus Christ is Lord. So what do we do when we come together as a church and we're whining and crying and complaining about all these worldly things? We're missing the opportunity to change the world. And Jesus, in 20 seconds, that's all it is, 20 seconds. And I want to read this with you. Look at the Lord's Prayer there. And we'll say this together, not as a a ritual this morning, but as an invitation in, in a world that, like I said, we can think of the book of Judges today, right? And we can look around, it says, and there was no king in the land. It says, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. I hear that so much from people today because they go, that's what's happening in America. That's what's happening around the world. And so we need to pray. We don't need to pray, oh, the, put our guy or put our gal in power. No, we, we have a king that's already in power. Jesus is seated on the throne right now. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. You know, God has a will. He has a desire that he would love to work out in and through you and I. When we come together, instead of complaining, you know, uh, what should we be doing? Praying. Praying. Of all the things that we could do, it's probably the thing that if we admit it, it's probably the thing that we do least. But yet it's the most powerful aspect of the believer's life is to petition the very throne of God to commune with God. And that's what the invitation that Jesus said. So when they came to him, they didn't say, Lord, like I said, teach us to pray in the sense of teach us how to pray. They were saying, Lord, teach us to pray, period. Teach us to pray because they knew how to pray. And guess what? You know how to pray and I know how to pray. But you know what? If we're honest today, it probably is the thing that lacks most in our life. And we need to ask God, God, teach me, teach me to pray. And that's what this is all about here this morning. So let's read it together and then we will pray. So join me in this and you can read whatever translation. I'm doing this in honor of Larry today. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Um, <laughs> Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your king. You can say this, hey, we'll start over. You can say this with me out loud. Let's read it out loud, say it out loud. Um, I love it. It just sounds great. And just because of my Catholic roots, I just, I don't know. I just, no, no. But I love it when we, when we speak the word of God together, there's power in it. But let's say it together. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And father, I pray that Lord from this day forward, those 66 words that Jesus, that you taught your disciples, God would never become rote again in our life, but that Lord, you would teach us to pray always as Paul would admonish the church in Thessalonica to pray without ceasing. And Father, that, Lord, that would be the first thing, not the last thing, not the last resort in our life, but the thing that we, we know to do first and foremost in everything as we start each and every day. And Lord, we thank you for the gift of prayer to think that we get to talk to the God of heaven. And then we get to commune with you. And then we get to hear from you, Lord. Father, what a blessing that is. Lord, may we Lord, take full advantage of it each and every day of our lives, we pray, for your glory and our good as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you know, when you think about, you know, the Lord's Prayer here, you know, I always think in, in Scripture, um, what is the shortest verse in the Bible that, you, that you've been told? What is it? Go ahead and yell it. Yeah. 
Jesus wept. That's actually the second. Okay, in the original language, Jesus wept is actually three words. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, pray without ceasing in the Greek language is only two words. So in the, in really in the truest sense, the shortest verse in the Bible is pray. It's, the word is pray ceasingly, is that you just pray all the time. And, and Jesus weeping, it was in Jesus, it, you know, in the sense that there's an article there. So it's actually three, three words. As with regard to Jesus weeping. And so, and I love that because you think about the, the, the shortest and the second, you know, you think about it to pray without ceasing of all the things, you know, we think about, oh, it's hard for me to remember scripture, but yet most people remember, you know, Jesus wept and you go, but that's what he does when we don't pray ceasingly, you might say, kind of put those in perspective there in order. And when I look at this, you know, these verses here, and especially like on a Sunday like this, where we've got, you know, our kids with us, we've got our youth, we've got adults here in the sanctuary. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's just good for us to confess the fact that, you know, we know how to pray, but really the truth is we don't pray. And, and, and that's, you know, not something to our credit, but it's something that I hope that the Lord stirs, especially when you think about why people pray. And I think when you think consistently across the board here, um, people would say, well, I don't pray because, um, you know, I get busy, uh, you know, da, 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 da. and you go, but when do we all remember to pray? You go, when life is hard, right? Yeah. When the bottom falls out, so to speak, when we're desperate and, and there was a difference. And that's really the difference between us and Jesus is you know, we live in the United States of America that really promotes independence and, and individualism. And it's the very antithesis of what the Bible teaches. You know, you could say this, there is no I in prayer. If you're a note taker, you might write that down. There is no I in prayer. And we spend so much time petitioning God for ourselves. And that's not even a model that we see so much in prayer. What we see when Jesus teaching his disciples to pray, it's always in the third person. It's always our it's not I, it's not me, it's not mine. It's thinking of others first, you know, and then ourselves. Because as scripture says, does God, does God already know what you have need of even before you ask? Yeah. And so I don't have to be overly concerned with myself because God is concerned with me. What I want to do is develop the heart of God that I'm not, my focus isn't on myself. My focus is more on you. And that would make us so unique to the world around us, wouldn't it? Because the world around us is so, so self-aware, so, so self-conscious, so, so self-centered, you might say. And again, we have an invitation of God is to not be that way, but to follow the model of Christ. And everything that Jesus did, like I said, he's, he, he didn't come for himself. He came, you know, for the Father. He came for the Father's will. I like this, uh, something I read this week. It said, you know, it's interesting that not one man or woman in the Bible who was greatly used in prayer ever read one book on it or attended one seminar on prayer. They just did it. And I love that. You know, because we think, oh, I've got to go to this conference. I've got to take this class. And you go, no, you just need to pray. We just need to pray. And that's what the disciples did. They asked Jesus, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And why did they? Like I said, when you study Jesus' life, you see if there's a word and you're a note taker, you might write this down. It's the word dependent. 
they saw that Jesus was completely dependent upon the Father in everything that he did. Jesus himself said, the Son does nothing of himself, but it's the Father who lives in me and that does the work. It was, it was everything he did. He said, I see the Father doing and I only speak the things that I hear him speaking. And I've listened to the things that he speaks to me. And you go, wow, if anybody could have been independent, it could have been Jesus. He was God. He's the second person of the Trinity, right? But he demonstrated a life that was completely subjected to his father, completely dependent upon him. You know, Mark 31, 35, it says, before the daybreak, the next morning, it says, Jesus got up and he went out to an isolated place to pray. I mean, here's Jesus, you know, again, God in the flesh, seeking early in the morning his father. At his baptism, if you remember in Luke 3.21, it says, and one day it says the crowds were being baptized and Jesus himself was baptized. It says, and as he was praying, the heavens opened. As he was praying, always modeling, always seeking the father's, his desire, his will. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it says, and, and this is one of my favorite passages with regard to Jesus praying. It says, you know, when Jesus was praying about who his disciples would be, you'd think, you know, how did, how did Jesus go about picking the disciples? You know, sometimes we pick people, and I know I've done this, and, and, and it's been a, a lack of prayer. And here's Jesus again. It says, one day soon afterwards, it says, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and it says, and he prayed to God all night. It says who his, his disciples, his immediately, who would be the apostles might be. He's asking God, God, who, who are they? You know, everything he, that Jesus did in this life, he ran through the filter of prayer. Like I said, he practiced, you could say, neology. And so when you look at this, you know, and you study Jesus' life, I mean, what Jesus was doing was he was demonstrating a dependence upon God. And, and I guess it's a great question to ask ourselves this morning. Are you dependent upon God? Would, would you in your heart of hearts? I mean, is he the first thing that you think about in the morning, you know, when you get up? I always love that, that, that joke where the guy says, uh, laying in bed, and he says, you know, Father, I thank you that, you know, I have not had one evil thought today. I thank you that I have not, you know, had a, a terrible thought about another person, and I have not sinned against anybody today. He says, but Lord... In a moment, I'm going to get out of bed. And then all things are possible, you know. And, and it's so true. And, but to have that kind of heart that Jesus demonstrated that in the truest sense, before the sun was up, um, he was praying. He was seeking the Father. And you go, why? You go, because, man, if we are not dependent upon God, I mean, most of us would admit this. It's, it's very easy to get going in the course of the day, and then the day just starts dictating its own. And, and we get busy, and like I said, we get pulled in all kinds of directions. And so, you know, again, knowing how to pray is one thing, but actually praying is quite another thing. You know, I think it's, it's safe to say, you know, in all of our lives, I mean, I know for me, you know, I desire to have a more effective, a deeper, more intimate relationship with God in prayer. And yet, you know, I understand you know, there's all kinds of things that will seek to distract us from that. And so when you see Jesus saying, you know, when you pray, the, the best model that we have in prayer is he says, you know, that your heavenly father hears in secret. So he says, don't, don't be like the Pharisees and don't be like those, the religious people who stand up in front of people because they want to be heard by other people. 
He said, if you really want to put, you know, in a sense, I'm paraphrasing this, but you want to put God to the test in something, is go into a closet where nobody else can hear you and pray privately to God. Pray in secret so only you and God can hear it and lay it out before God. And he says, and your father who hears in secret will do what? He'll reward you openly, right? I mean, because it's one thing, you know, I always remember, you know, because even the world, you know, they go, oh, you know, what happens is you guys go to church and you pray about something and then somebody in the church goes, oh, well, they, they have a need. Well, you know, and your, your heart gets moved. Has that ever happened to you? Yes. Has it happened to me? Yes. You just feel sorry for somebody. I don't even have to necessarily pray about it. You just go, they have a need. And, and Proverbs says, if, you, if it's within my hand to do good and not to do it, to them it's sin. But God wants us to be prayerful about it, right? Not, not to be like the, the woman who's standing in her apartment. She's going, God, God, I'm so hungry. I have no food. You know, please, God, give me food, please. And she's just doing this day in and day out. So finally, her atheist next door neighbor, he hears us and he's just going nuts. So finally, he just goes and buys a bag of groceries. And he comes over and he pounds on her door and she opens the door. And he goes, here, here's your groceries. And she looks at him and she goes, praise God. You heard my prayers. Was, I just couldn't believe that you would use the devil to deliver them, you know. And you go, you go, okay. But, but God does answer our prayers. The key is, is to believe. And, and people do this all the time. God, it's, it's amazing. I, I was on the phone with a, a, a lady this last week, and, and she's a shut-in. And, and uh, she said, you know, I just, I, I just don't know if God hears my prayers. And so I had her explain to me the things that she was praying about. And so I told her, I said, you know, ma'am, I said, I go, that's why I'm calling. And she goes, what do you mean? And I said, well, you were praying and you told your neighbor and your neighbor prayed about it. And your neighbor called me and I prayed about it. And I said, and the Lord led me to call you. I go, that's how God works. God works through his people. That's why fellowship is so important in the body of Christ. Yes, I mean, it can seem so, you know, oh, well, that wasn't, you know, God, because we all prayed about it together, and then, then somebody who heard the prayer, you know, did it. And you go, yeah, it's just like those that wrote the Word of God, right? Men, moved by the Holy Spirit, penned the words of God. God uses human instruments. But, but everything that God does, he says, you can do much things after prayer, but you can do nothing for God until you pray. And to be people that pray and to seek God. And, and I just want to encourage you in this is that, like I said, my, my heart today is really just to encourage you to become people of prayer. And, and again, you could say, well, I know how to pray. That's not what I'm saying. I know we all know how to pray. I'm talking about truly becoming people who do pray. And we pray without ceasing and we pray consistently. So when you get together, so when you walk into a Bible study group on this campus or in somebody's home and it starts to go sideways, you go, hey, hey, let's pray. Let's pray. Will that change things pretty quick? Absolutely. If prayer is powerful, powerful. You know, to think that, you know, as it's been well said, you know, that heaven is a storehouse to answered prayers that have yet to be prayed is that we would be the people who would be knocking on heaven's door as the world is, you know, in the sense, you know, going to H-E-double-L hockey sticks because we've got children in here, um, you know, in a handbasket, so to speak. You go, what do we do? Do we just throw in the towel? Do we just become cynical? Do we just gripe and complain? You go, no. No, we, we really start to comprehend that, man, we can make a difference, that we can actually 
talk to the God who created the heavens and the earth and, and to commune with him and to begin to understand and comprehend what his will and what his desire is for this time in which we live. And then to be used of God. There's no greater joy than to pray to God and then have God actually, as like I said, to become the answer to your own prayer. That God would use you in someone else's life. But that you go, oh, hey, this is exactly what we were praying for. You know, Jesus in Matthew 26, 41, he says, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to the temptation. He said, for what? For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Have you found that to be true in your own life? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Yeah, and that we would look to God, that we would trust God, that we would believe God. I mean, because here's the thing. I mean, if we're not really praying, do we really believe in prayer? I mean, that, that has to be the question, you know, that we answer within our, heart, our own hearts. I mean, if I'm not praying, do I really believe that prayer works? It kind of reminds me of the, uh, that church that was um, embattled with a, a local bar. They were trying to, you know, you'll find cities that do this, right? They were trying to, to get rid of uh, all the alcohol in their city. There was one bar that was left in town. And so the church came together and they organized like a Jericho march. And they began to meet at that bar every night. And they prayed. And they were walking around this bar and they were praising God. They were praying. And, and lo and behold, uh, after one prayer meeting, one night the bar caught on fire and the bar burned to the ground. So the bar, the bar owner sued the church. So this thing goes to court and, and the bartender, he says, hey, these guys walked around my bar and they prayed that, it, that, that I'd go out of business. He goes, heck, it burnt to the ground. I'm out of business. They're responsible. And the church, we're not responsible. We just prayed. And so the judge listens to both sides and he goes, ah, I can't conclude who's ultimately responsible. He says, but I have learned one thing. He goes, the bartender believes in the power of prayer and the church doesn't. You know, <laughs> and I think, I think there's a lot of truth in that, you know, when, it, when we really think about that. But, but my hope is that in, in the truest sense from this day forward in the life of our church, I mean, you think about this, you know, we're all going to die one day. What are you going to be known for? You know, in the world, what is the world? You know, we think of people like, oh, they, they donated a lot of money, right? They donated money to this cause or to this, or, you know, as a father, what are you going to be known for? When your kids are, oh, my dad told, you know, a funny joke, he did this, or, you know, my dad took us here to this place. My dad bought us lots of stuff. My dad, you know, did this. My dad, my mom did this. My mom, you know, she baked things. She did this. And, you know, she was kind. And you go, wouldn't it be awesome if, if of all the things they go, what did I teach my kids? And they go, the thing that I learned from my mom or my dad or my grandma or my grandpa or my aunt or my uncle, they taught me to pray. They taught me to pray. They taught me to seek God of all the things. And you go, and what I love about that is you don't need a degree to do that. You don't have to be the sharpest pencil in the drawer to accomplish that. You just have to be a person who loves Jesus and believes that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and no man comes to the Father except by him. And you believe that God created you for himself and that he desires intimacy with you. See, one of the things that's interesting, the Jews never ever use the word father. To this day, the only way they use the word Abba is when they're talking about their earthly father. You can go to Israel today, and when we go in February, we'll hear little children be running around Israel going, Abba, 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 talking about their daddy. But they've never used that intimate term to talk about Father God. Never, not one time. 
They don't, they don't see God that way. They see him as, as supreme. They see him as ultimate. But they don't see him in that intimate way that Jesus, the Son of God, has instructed us to pray to God, is to see him as our Father who's in heaven and to enjoy that intimacy with God as a, as a son or as a daughter, that we've been adopted into the family of God, that you belong to him. And he paid the ultimate price. You know, you think, oh, you know, my ego... You weren't, you weren't you know, redeemed with silver and gold. He didn't bail you out. He's not bail bond Leon. Is that he, he purchased your life with, with the blood of the lamb, with the blood of Jesus Christ. You are a priceless treasure to God. And, and what he desired, I mean, to think about this, does, does God need anything from you? You know, I, I've, I've heard, you know, sermons on the radio and stuff. I'll be driving. I'll listen to local pastors and stuff. And God can't do what he wants to do without you. And I go, oh, God's in trouble. God's in trouble. If he's counting on me and he's counting on you, we're in trouble. I thank God for the Abrahamic covenant. You know, God cut that covenant of all, our salvation. He cut it all alone. He, he let Abraham go to sleep. And that was a good thing. God bound himself to that promise. But to think that he loves you. And he loves me and he wants a relationship with us. He wants to commune with you. He loves to hear from you. It, and again, does he already know what you have need of? Yes. But he enjoys hearing from you. It's not that, like I said, that we offer God anything. And he doesn't need us. It's better than that. He wants us. He wants a relationship with us. And he doesn't want it, you know. I mean, I hate this. And, and just being totally transparent. I get phone calls almost once a week from somebody, especially in the days we live in. And they'll go, hey, Pastor Mike, I know we haven't talked in, you know, um, 59 years, you know. But, uh, hey, I just want to see how you're doing. I'm like, oh, I'm doing good. And I already know where it's going, you know. And I go, hey, what's up? And they go, oh, I just was calling, just check on you, see how you're doing. I said, man, that's awesome. Then I feel bad when I hang up. I go, Lord, man, I was thinking, you know, they were calling because they wanted something. And uh, next day they call back. Hey, you know, oh, you, you know what? Uh, I didn't mention it yesterday, but I just one. hey, could you? And I, ah, I go, and, I, and, and, and now I'm at that point in my life, I don't say anything. It's like, if I, again, if I can help people, I'm here to help people. But I, in my early years <laughs> as a Christian, you know, somebody would say that and I go, oh, so the only reason you're calling is because you want something. Now this is on the second call, right? So I go, because the first one, I go, hey, I felt really good until you called back the second time. You know, I go, so why didn't you just say that the first time you called? Well, you know, I go, right. You felt guilty because we don't have a relationship. I get that. And I go, but I'm going to help you. And if you want a relationship, that offer is still there. And sometimes people take you up on it. Sometimes they don't. But I go, but I've done the same thing to God. God is always there for me. I can pray to him and ask him for things I have. And, and God could just as easily look at me and go, Mike, <laughs> you, know, you know what I hear from you? Is when the bottom falls out. Man, I'd sure love to hear from you when things are going good or when things aren't just going at all. Just because I love you and I created you. You're my son. I'm your, I'm your father. And, wow. And to think, you know, that's the kind of relationship that God, but he doesn't hang it over our head. He just stands at the door of our heart, as scripture says, and he knocks. He's polite. He cares. He loves. And so when you, you look at this, you know, this passage of scripture, and it's really simple, you know, in just a few verses, you know, I'm reminded, you know, of a, 
especially when we think about prayerlessness in our lives. There was a village in Africa where one of the elders who was discipling a bunch of uh, young men and young women, he told them, he said, you know, the first thing, the very first thing, the most important thing in becoming a follower of Jesus is that you seek him every single day of your life in prayer, that you get alone with God and you talk to God. You know, more important than you reading his word, you know, that's important. That would be a, a secondary issue. But most important is that you seek the face of God and you do that in prayer every day. And so what I want to encourage you to do, and he told the, the young men and women, he said, every morning, and they, they lived in a, a village, and he said, is to go out into the jungle, get away from everybody else where nobody can disturb you and interrupt this very, very special time that you have with God. He said, and he said, and Go out there and seek God, then come back and make that the pattern of your life. And it was so awesome that it was said that, that where these young men and women would walk, they, they did it so much that the path which they took, the grass died under their feet, that you could see the path that they took every day. And then uh, it also demonstrated when somebody began... Did I just turn something off? No. Okay. Um, said that uh, they could, he could also walk out there and look. And when he started seeing the grass growing again, where it once was dead, he would then kindly and politely then go to these young men and women. And he would say, hey, guess what? And they'd say, what? And he goes, there's grass growing under your feet. And they knew what he meant. And it was just a reminder, you know, was, let that be a well-worn path. Keep that grass dead, you know, as you go out and you seek the Lord. And I, one of my favorite passages, you know, excuse me, my favorite pastors uh, has often remarked with regard to a lot of different things, but even with regard to prayer, because this isn't a guilt trip this morning, because trust me, I, I had to study this before I'm delivering it to you, and I can only speak for myself. My prayer life is not what I want it to be, okay? And, and you don't know what that, what that means. I could be praying 23 hours a day, and I could say, and, and truly, and I'm not, but if I was there's still another hour in the day, right? You could go, and I think the heart of a believer, we should always want more, you know, in our life. But one of my favorite pastors, he, he would always say this. He'd say, hey, if you miss a day, and don't condemn yourself, just don't miss two. If you miss one, he said, just don't miss two. It's just a, a great exhortation. And, and, and I want to exhort you with that same thing. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, you know how to pray. You even know what, to, like people, I don't know what to pray, Pastor. Sure, you know, okay. Let's just pray, God, uh, I'm having a hard time praying. So could you help me remember to pray? What usually happens? A trial. You know, isn't that true? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. What? That the testing of your faith is what? Produces patience in your life, right? It draws you to God. What, what does pain do? And I'm crying out to God as soon as it happens, right? And you go, do you want that in your life? What, what, that's what Paul said in Colossians 1. He says that he would receive in his own body the suffering of Jesus Christ. The suffering of Christ. He would go through exactly what Jesus would do. You go, why? Because it draws you into a deeper, more profound relationship with God. That you would experience the God, the, the Father, the same way that God the Son did. You'd have that kind of intimacy you know, in your life. And so as you look at this, you know, and again, I, I want to just walk through this really quick. And, and again, not to trying to um, oversimplify it, I think Jesus made it simple. I, I think the Lord's prayer, and again, really the disciples' prayer is simple because God wanted it to be simple. I, th I think we make things way more complex than, than God does. 
with regard to our relationship with him. And, you know, like I said, they asked Jesus, you know, teach us to pray. And he, and he begins this thing, like I said, not with an I. And I think that's our problem a lot of times. You know, if you listen to prayers, what do people do right away? They go, Lord, I need this. I need this. I want this. I, 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 I. It's, there's no I in this prayer. It's our, it's community. We're in this thing together. And I think, and I think you would agree. What if, our, what if our country, the United States, what if we all woke up tomorrow and we focused on the needs of other people rather than our own needs? You go, would our country be a different place tomorrow? You go, would you agree that the greatest difficulties that we face as a country is because of the individualism that people promote? Is that it's all about them. It's about their wants, their needs, their desires. I mean, one of the things we, we think about in politics, you know, is they say, you know, that politics is made up of compromise, and it really is. Neither side gets completely what they want, but they learn how to what? To work together. And you go, man, that has gone out the window, you know? And you go, but yet the Lord has that, that desire as we enter into, you know, communion with him in prayer. He says, you know, the first thing that, you know, we pray, you know, our Father, look at that in verse 1. He says, and once Jesus was in a certain place praying, so Jesus was away from them, it says he finished, and one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And like I said, I just want to remind you, they saw something dynamic in Jesus. They saw something that was so profound that was lacking in their own lives. Like I said, they didn't go, Lord, we want to do miracles. We want to raise the dead. You know, we, we want to do, you know, we'd be great teachers. They're going, God, no. And this is it. God, Jesus, teach us to be dependent upon the Father. Teach us to be dependent upon the Father. And that's what the Lord's Prayer is all about. Like I said, there's a big difference between that and how to teach or you know, how to pray, you know, even what to pray. And he doesn't say, if you notice that, he doesn't say, if you pray. He says, when you pray. He just makes the assumption, because you're a child of God, you're going to seek God. You're going to seek God in prayer. Verse 2, it says, and so he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy, in some of your translations, be your name, your kingdom come. And what is he telling us there? You know, he's like, immediately you don't run in and go, God, give me, give me, give me, give me, right? You begin by recognizing it. And there's a reason. And I don't want you to miss this because people go, well, you know, God already knows. But the beauty of it is what would happen in the heart of the person who's praying, who comes to God and recognizes that God is, that he's holy, that he's supreme and that he's perfect and that he's in heaven and he has the perfect vantage point over everything and all things that go on in this world. Wouldn't that make it easier to ask him for things? Yes. And that's what it's doing. It puts things into the proper perspective for us that we recognize that God is holy. God is set apart. He's separate. He, there's none like him. Amen? None. And then to recognize, like I said, that God sees things perfectly. He knows my life. He knows your life. You know, he's the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. And what that should do is that should help us to then ask in confidence as we come to God. And then to pray, your kingdom come. 
Well, what are we praying? Well, I think we know that theologically, right? Is to say, Lord, we know that one day you're coming back. And when you come back, you're going to establish your kingdom here on earth, right? We're going to enjoy the millennial kingdom, a thousand years of peace. And then the new heavens and the new earth. So he's going, so we pray this as the church, right? Maranatha, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I mean, I, I've already asked you. I mean, are we really enjoying, you know, the, the government that we have today? And we have one of the better governments in the world, right? And, and we're not liking it. And you're going, because what? We're sinners. We're fallen. We're broken people. And so to be able to pray, your kingdom come. Your kingdom, thy kingdom. What are we doing? In a personal way. You could personalize this. To say, God, I'm inviting you to sit on the throne of my life. And that, that's really a declaration that we're saying as well. Thy kingdom come. God, God establish your kingdom in my life. I, I know what it's like. We still all know what it's like to, to live on the throne of our own heart. And to make the decisions. But then to come to God and to think about this. Great challenge. And I, I do want to challenge you with this. Ever, I don't care how young you are, how old you are. Not as a, as a rote prayer. But to take this prayer to heart today and, and over the next 30 days is just pray this prayer every day and think about the implications of it. I mean, in 20 seconds, you can pray this prayer, the Lord's prayer, like I said, or the disciples prayer, better put. And then think about the implications of that on a day-to-day -day basis for 30 days. And I can promise you, promise you, it'll change the way that you view God It'll change the way that you view the world around you. And it'll change the way that you view prayer in particular. And that's, I think, of the greatest blessings that we could have is that God would change our heart and our mind with regard to prayer and how powerful it is. That God would be the king in my heart and that I would submit and subject my future, your future, to him. I want to do things according to his will, right? To his kingdom. That I'm seeking his fame and not my own. And that's, that's really what the implication of this, this prayer is all about. It says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, think about that. Is God's will being done in heaven today? Think about that. Is God's will being done in heaven today? Yeah, so everything in heaven is in perfect harmony to the worship of the Father, right? And so what we're saying is, God, we know everything's perfect in heaven. We're saying, Lord work that out. And in, 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 I can't work it out in, in the rest of the world, right? It's kind of like Jesus saying, get the log out of your own eye before you get the speck out of your brother's eye. It's like, but in this sphere that I have, I'm inviting your will to be done in my life. This place that the space that I occupy, when you think about his will, it's simply desire or his wish. Does God have a desire? Does he have a wish? Yes. That all men would come to repentance. That all men would know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That we'd all be united in him, gathered one day in the very presence of God. Give us this day our daily bread. Remember back in Exodus 16 when manna came from, down from heaven? And, and what, was, what was God doing? He was providing enough food for what? That day. And if you took more than enough, what happened? Yeah. yeah, not very good. And yet there is a truth in that to think that we're, what we're praying for there, he says, but it's not alone. You're not going, God, give me. It doesn't say, give me my, God, give me my daily, my daily bread. It says, give us, give us. And in the NLT translation, give us day by day, 
our daily bread. I mean, and what is that about? It's that word again, dependence. Dependence. You're not praying, well, Lord, meet my needs for the month. You know, hey, Jesus, I don't want to bug you, so I'm just going to check in on the first, pray for the whole month, and I'll see you next month. And then some people could say, well, I just didn't want to, you know, I just didn't want to, he, I mean, look at the whole world's busy. I didn't want to take up his time. So I just prayed. And you go, no, he wants to hear from us on a day-to-day-to-day basis that we would be dependent upon him. So we go, oh, that, is that needy? And you go, yes, we're needy. For honest, we're really needy. Daily dependence, though. Like I said, are you, are you relying on God? I think that's one of the things, especially if I talk to all the men in here, maybe not so much. You rely on your talents, your wisdom, your skills, your, how you can negotiate, you know, all kinds of things. And you go, hmm. And yet, what are we doing? You know, the imitation of God. Jesus, like I said, was God. And I love, you know, in Philippians 2, and though he was God, he says, and he did not regard equality a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself to the point, point of becoming a man, to the point of death on a cross. That he was dependent upon the Father. That as you and I would mature in our own relationship, that we'd realize the longer I walk with God, the more I need God. And the more I'm dependent upon God. That's, that's God's desire. And then in verse 4, and it says, And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Do you have much to be forgiven of today? Yeah. And who are we to hold, withhold forgiveness from other people? But yet you think about it in your own life. I mean, who are you withholding forgiveness from? People hurt you. And so you go, you know what? You cut them off. You go, man, what if God did that to me and to you? How many times? You go, 70 times what? You go, seven. Ooh, for the same offense in, in one day? Hmm. No, I, I understand that do to me once, shame on you. Do to me twice, shame on me. But 70 times seven? So I need to be reminded of that every day. Because it's really easy to become proud and become arrogant. You go, now look what they did. They, 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 they. You know. And God's going, no. Forgive us our, it's not just me. You know, you're not just praying, God, forgive me, but you're going, Lord, forgive them too. To be inclusive in that, that understanding of the need for forgiveness. I don't want to be a person who harbors grudges, but that's what happens when you don't pray. When you pray for people, what happens? Remember Jonah, when he was sent to go to the Ninevites? I shared this, why didn't he want to go? Because he knew God was gracious, Right? And he didn't like them. And he knew if he took that message, they'd repent and God would forgive them. He wanted them to perish. We can relate to that. That's why that's, <laughs> that story's there. But to go, God, man, help me to never withhold forgiveness from other people. And it's interesting, before you would ever ask God to forgive you for being unforgiven, is actually Jesus' teaching here is that you first would pray that God would forgive other people. So even the people that have sinned against you, that your prayer is not, God, help me to forgive them. You know, we get taught that, right? They go, no, that's not what Jesus said. He said that you'd be praying, Father, forgive them, forgive them. And then Lord, help me to forgive them because I know you forgive them. And now God, help me 
I mean, this is a deep prayer. This was, like I said, wasn't to be a rote prayer. This was to be a model prayer that would draw us into a deeper communion, a deeper understanding, a deeper love for God. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. And he says, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You know, we need God's help. You ever been tricked by the devil? Yeah, yeah. So we're praying every day, God, I mean, he disguised himself as an angel of light. I'm not even going to hardly know. How am I going to know? So God, I need your help. I need you to protect me from the evil one. I don't want to make the wrong choices. And don't lead me into temptation. You know, people go, when does God lead us into temptation? No, he, God never tempts anyone to sin. But he does allow us to experience trials every once in a while, right? That are designed for our good because they make us what? What's the, the goal here? dependent, dependent upon him. And so the prayer, it ends with a plea for deliverance. And then if you go back to Matthew chapter six, verse 13, there's the remainder of that prayer. He says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And that's just simply the acknowledgement as we, you know, wrap it up to go, that's God, you, you're all powerful. You're all glorious. And God, we, we, we're reminded everything belongs to you, including me, including you. And we're here for your glory. You're in complete control. And it's just such a great reminder. You know, as you go, oh, yeah, after you, because even when you've poured your heart out to God, you can become disillusioned by the things that are around. And all of a sudden, and here's Jesus go, but remember, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Yeah, God's in control. No matter what you're going through today, is God in control? Yes. And what did Paul tell us as we, we studied in the book of Romans, chapter 8? And all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. And you've been called according to his purpose. So somehow, some way, and that's what that prayer does. It, it wraps up reminding us that God's in control, that he is seated on his throne. No matter what's going on in your world, walk by faith and not by sight. Amen? Amen. It's a beautiful prayer. And like I said, that's my challenge for me, for you. Next 30 days, I hope you'd accept it, that each and every morning you start your day with the Lord's prayer, not as a rote prayer, but as a model prayer and to think it through. And in 30 days to see the difference that it makes in your life. It's not just because prayer, prayer doesn't necessarily change things, Prayer changes me and it changes you, amen? And really that's what God's heart is. Not that it would change our circumstances, our situation, but it would change us that we'd recognize that God is good all the time and that he has our best interest in mind. And one day soon, he's coming back. And when he does, man, everything that we lost at the fall, you could say he's gonna reverse the curse. So what a glorious day that is. What a great reminder in light of all the things that we're having to deal with on this planet. And so when we come together, those should be the things that direct us then. Don't get pulled into all the sidebar conversations. When those things happen, let it just go, hey, you know what we can do? We have the greatest power that's available to us today. Prayer. Let's pray. Because what? Prayer changes things. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, just thank you for the gift of prayer. And I pray, Lord, for this church 
as, as for all churches, that, Lord, that we would be a people who pray and seek your face. I, I think, you know, as your word declares, we, we, we quote that in prayer gatherings, that if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, that, God, you would hear from heaven and you would heal our land. That, Lord, it's not what we do. It's, Lord, it's what you do. And so we beseech you. As you said, you, you said to look and to look out over the harvest, that the, the harvest was ripe and it's ready for picking. It says, but the labors are few. And you said, to, so beseech the Lord of the harvest that he would send in. God, we put so much pressure on one another and on ourselves when, God, your invitation and your word is to bring all those things in prayer to you. And so, Lord, today we just ask for forgiveness. Forgive us for leaning on our own understanding and not in all our ways acknowledging you. But understanding today, God, you desire to direct our path. And so, Lord, we humbly, we submit to you. Uh, we cry out to you. And, Lord, we, we thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. And not because of anything we've done, but because of what you've done for us. We can come boldly before your throne of grace in our time of need. And that need is every day of our life. But we can come there because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so, Lord, help this church, Lord, to take full advantage every time we come together to storm the gates of heaven, knowing that heaven truly is, Lord, a storehouse full of answered prayers that have yet to be prayed. And then to be able to sit back and know that though eye hasn't seen nor ear heard, nor has it even entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for them that love him, we receive him by our spirit, your spirit in us. We see those things come to pass like the heroes of our faith that they your word says they all died without receiving the promise, but they saw it afar off. And God, you rewarded them for us. That God, we'd be that kind of a people. As we live by faith. The world needs it so desperately now, especially the days in which we live in. And so Lord, protect us from the schemes of the wicked one who wants to draw us into all these sidebar conversations about government and religion and, and things. When God, all you've ever wanted is a relationship with your people. And Lord, thank you, you made it so simple. 66 words, 20 seconds. We can pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We love you, Lord Jesus. We give you this day as we pray in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen.